right. Well, welcome to the Cubcast, episode four. Uh, hello, Kathy Norman Peterson. Hi, Ed Gilbreth. Hey, this is the Cubcast from the editors of the Covenant Companion magazine. We're back at you for another fun-packed episode of uh, connecting the Covenant community. And uh, what's been going on, Kathy? We've been away for a while. You produced a, an incredible issue of the magazine since we've been gone. It uh, should be at people's homes by now. That's the, right. The November-December issue. It's a great issue. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? We have it? a great cover story um, with some really vulnerable, holy stories of people who are covenant ministers and leaders who are um, traveling the journey of cancer. And they share some really honest, um, authentically broad stories that are really full of hope in the end. Um, and I really feel like it's a great gift to readers in the community. Yeah, it's a powerful package of, of uh, stories and really encourage uh, all of our listeners out there. If you are not a subscriber to The Companion, you need to check out uh, that issue uh, and that cover story. So mm -hmm. your team did a great job pulling that together. And um, I feel like cancer uh, is a, a subject that touches us all in different ways, whether it be family members or, or um, friends or, or our own journeys. And uh, there's something about it that allows people a chance to um, reflect and to, to think about the, the life journey in general um, that other illnesses don't always provide. I have to be honest, we were a little uncertain about this idea when you first had it. Um, and it turned out to be this really rich collection of stories that um, is offers hope in the middle of something that's really hard, but also touches a lot of people, right? Everybody yeah. has stories of loved ones and family members with cancer. So, um, yeah. so I feel grateful. I'm, I'm hoping, we're hoping that it will be um, a valuable piece for, for many readers um, who are, are, are familiar with that journey and provide some encouragement, uh, especially around the holiday season that we're entering into now. Hey, that reminds me of something else. We're entering into the holidays. Advent's almost upon us. Hey, we have an Advent devotional. We have an Advent <laughs> devotional. That's right. We took, I, this is exciting, listeners. Listen to me now. We uh, thought about all the incredible content that's been in the Covenant Companion over the years. And we thought, what if we were to put that all together in a collection of devotionals for the Advent season to help the Covenant community sort of enter into this this in, this special time? And uh, what what did we come up with? I have to give huge kudos to our editor, Linda Sledke, who went through all of our old companion files and found a great collection of 24 um Advent pieces or Christmas reflections um, that we've published in the Companion through the years, and we provided excerpts of them. We kind of shortened them down to, to devotional reflections and put them together in this really beautiful package of stories that are, as you read through them, it, it builds into this really great preparation for the celebration of Christmas. 
Yeah, and a shout out to uh, Christy Child too, our art director for pulling that together. That's really uh, beautiful visually. Yeah, and uh, so the thing is, this is a free gift that we want to give to um, all of our our listeners and to the readers of the companion. All you need to do is go to covenantcompanion.com slash adventdevo, D-E-V-O, and um, you can download it there and uh, use it as a resource for this uh, Advent season. So uh, again, that's our, our gift to uh, you for your, your support of the Covenant Companion, and we hope it'll be something that you'll find valuable during this season. Well... Um, we have a, uh, a special interview uh, coming up on this episode with uh, Covenant Pastor John Teeter, uh, who also is the author of a, a new book uh, or a recent book called The Power of the 72, Ordinary Disciples in Extraordinary Evangelism. And um, we're going to talk to John in just a bit. But the subject of evangelism, first I wanted to just pick your brain a little bit, Kathy Norman Peterson, on mm-hmm. this topic. We've done a few pieces in the companion about evangelism, but it's a it's a tricky subject these days. Um, I was looking at some of the the recent uh, stats on uh, Christians and evangelism, and George Barna uh, came out with a report uh, just earlier in the year uh, on this subject, and the results are sort of uh, I don't know troubling. If if you're a, a person that believes that that it's the church's primary mission to um, to evangelize and that uh, we need to be on the forefront of of uh, uh, spreading the gospel, why are they troubling? Because there's a sense that uh, it's not viewed as uh, being as much of a priority as maybe it once was. At least. Uh, according to some of the uh, the findings of the the study that Barna did, for instance, um, one thing it notes is that every Christian, the question is asked, um, or or the statement made, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. In 1993, nine out of ten Christians who had shared their faith agreed with that, uh, 89% of them, but today just two thirds say so, and um, that's 64%. So we went from 89% to 64%, a 25-point drop uh, since 1993. Um, And there's a sense, and there's other stats there too, but that's one that that stands out. But the sense that evangelism has become less of a a priority for for Christians today. Do you have a theory about why those numbers are going down? Well, I, I, I think there's... There's, uh, I, I can speak from my own experience in terms of uh, the sense that uh, for, a, for a long time we were encouraged to, um, uh, at least in my journey, I was encouraged to make evangelism a more organic, natural part mm-hmm. of my, my uh, Christian walk and not to force it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that was sort of a relief because honestly, mm-hmm. I'm not the best at, you know, walking up to folks and handing out tracts and mm-hmm. telling them my testimony. Uh, but can you live it out in a way that uh, just uh, doesn't necessarily require uh, explicit words? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I wonder if a lot of folks have been on a similar journey as we've sort of embraced more of a like a lifestyle type of evangelism versus a more direct proclamation of, of uh, the gospel to, to people. 
And um, yeah, I confess, I'm I'm not the best at that. I I stumble all over myself, and I'm just uh, <laughs> you know become very anxious about uh, sharing in a more direct way. So. Uh, perhaps that could be part of the explanation. That does seem like a little bit of a maybe generational shift from like when I was growing up, people shared the four spiritual laws, right? Like that's how you evangelized. Um, And then I was in high school and college waitressing, putting myself through school. And when people would come to the restaurant on Sunday nights after church and they'd leave us a tip that said, here's a real tip, and they left a track and not Mm. any money, not good, evan- <laughs> not, not good evangelism for yeah. the wait staff. Um, so yeah, I, I've definitely experienced that kind of shift to like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna just show the gospel rather than speak the gospel. Um, I think our bless evangelism materials out of making deep and disciples um, really does a good job of naming the difference between proclamational and what demonstration gospel and mm-hmm. saying that we have to do both. Right, we can't just assume people will know about Jesus because we're good people, right? I mean, we have to do more than that. Right. I remember in uh, in college I had an evangelism class, and as part of our uh, uh, experience in that class, we went to a Cubs game. I went <laughs> Did to, you have to evangelize at the Cubs we game? We had to sort of see what God led us to at the Cubs game, but it was sort of understood, yeah, you need to go out and mix with the, with the crowd. And How did maybe, that go? Well, I remember meeting a, a gentleman, I can't remember his name now, but uh, we sat and we talked uh, about life and um, uh, he shared some of uh, his struggles and I shared some of my story and, um, you know, uh, um, found myself moving down that road toward just saying, you know, hey, Jesus loves you and, and you know, he can help you through uh, whatever struggles you're you're dealing with, and I remember there was no like dramatic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, conversion at that moment for this gentleman. But I remember praying for him for weeks and weeks after mm. that. Wow! And uh, and then it's sort of I can't remember his name anymore, but uh, I still think of him. I mm. think of his face, and um, so I think there is something powerful about being able to connect with mm-hmm. with folks. And even strangers to to uh, share the love of of God, um, but it, it's it's a challenge for some of us, especially uh, those of us uh, who are more on the introverted side. I think we should go to John Teeter and hear what he has to say about it. Sounds like a segue to me, Kathy Norman Peterson. <laughs> All right, so John Teeter is senior pastor of Fountain of Life Covenant Church in Long Beach, California. And he has also, he has served as the Evangelical Covenant Church's church planning team leader and evangelism team leader. And, uh, of course, now he is uh, also the author of this uh, great new book, The Power of the 72, Ordinary Disciples in Extraordinary Evangelism. So let's go to uh, that interview right now and hear about what John means by The Power of the 72. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I want to say congratulations. I heard your book was chosen as to be one of the featured books at Urbana this year. Is that true? That is true. Ed, it's great to hear uh-huh. your voice again, man. Hi, Kathy. Yes, Hi, John. Yeah, well, yeah, congratulations. It was just, just announced a couple of days ago. I'm excited. That's great. So the power of the 72 will be um, 
known far and wide there in, in St. Louis uh, this, this winter. That'd be great. Um, let's start there. Let's talk about the, that title, The Power of the 72, because that's sort of, it has sort of an ominous sort of sound to it. You know, it's like, is this some sort of Illuminati situation or something? What's going on with this? What is the, what is the power of the 72? Yeah, well, I think uh, the, the author-title uh, relationship is very unique. Um, I think you're the one, Ed, who told me about how few authors actually name their books. Right. And I think it was like 30% or something. So uh, great editors over at IVP. And what we wanted to do was capture kind of a double uh, a double play, the, the power Obviously, you think about the Holy Spirit, and Luke Acts is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's uh, a dynamis power, where the you know the Greek word for dynamite, where there's mm-hmm. an explosive supernatural power, especially when you see the the work of the Lord to bring about, um, you know, the the chapter that the book is written in Luke ten. The section ends saying that the 72 saw the devil fall like lightning from the sky. Wow. So that's what we're hoping for, is ordinary disciples will engage in the habits, the four habits of the 72 that every one of us can live, and that in their world, in their context, they'll see the devil fall like lightning. So I think there's a supernatural power. But then there's also like a collective power, a community power, because there's 72 of them. Okay. So 72 people doing the faithful work of evangelism can get a lot done. And uh, John, can you clarify? The, oh. Sorry to interrupt. If you, in case oh, people no. don't know the pa- the passage that you're referring to, can you clarify? Sure. Who the oh, are? absolutely. Yeah. So it's Luke 10, uh, 1 to 20. And the 72 are actually anonymous evangelists. So Jesus calls it, and all Luke says is, he probably knows every single name, but there's too many of them. And I think he wanted everyone to be empowered to be able to see themselves in the story. So we know nothing about these people, except that they went out and they faithfully uh, followed Jesus into evangelism and made tremendous mission impact. So then the thing that I was going to say that, that's so beautiful about the power of the 72 is just the sheer number of people going out and doing this. And the text says that the 72 returned with joy and shared all about what God had done in and through them. And, you know, you'd think, it, you know, I'm a, I've been a pastor for 11 years. It'd been enough if like 50 came back, you know, <laughs> hey, we only lost 22. <laughs> but all 72 people come back. It's absolutely amazing. So that, that's the thrust of the book, that we can be just ordinary people, who we are in our gifts, and participate in a profound way with God to, to bring about new Christians. So I think Luke 10 and the 72 is the solution to the greatest problem in the New Testament. Now, the greatest problem in the New Testament isn't sin, it isn't oppression, it isn't poverty. It literally is there's not enough workers for the for the fruit that's mm-hmm. falling off the trees, we need more right. kingdom workers. Mm-hmm. Right. So sin, the the power of sin, that's all been taken care of by the cross and Jesus's community. But 
there are it's a shortage, a dire shortage of enough kingdom workers. Right. So the subtitle is Ordinary Disciples and Extraordinary Evangelism. What does extraordinary evangelism look like today um, in this this context of the world we're in? Um, what yeah. do you think of when you when when yeah. you uh, use that phrase? Well, I think that the extraordinary is the result, which is people coming to faith. That is a supernatural mystery, and it's absolutely extraordinary. But how you get there, I think in the text of Luke 10, that Jesus trained them to do four things that every one of us can do. So the 72 pray earnestly. They make friends. They help people experience the gospel and they call their friends to faith. So I like to say that there's really four tasks. There's prayer, there's friends, there's experiences, and then there's invitations. And if you can master those four things and it's over a process, it normally takes about five to six months I've seen and get people into the Bible Mm-hmm. extraordinary things happen. So, and it could go very fast. So, you know, just yesterday we were at the tennis, the public tennis courts at Silverado park. I was, uh, training with my daughter and one of the local neighborhood got, we live in the inner city. So very few people are on the tennis courts, but we're always out there. People walk by and one of the young men in the hood walks up and he's like, Hey, tell me about tennis. So we started talking and he goes, yeah, I think I need to buy one of those things. <laughs> what do you call that? What, 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 do you, what do you hit the ball with? And I go, mm-hmm. a racket. <laughs> goes, yeah, I got, I got to get me one of those. And then we became friends, and I go, hey, you know, I'm a pastor, and this may sound crazy, but I love to teach the Bible so people can learn it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Are you around tomorrow night? And he goes, you mean, you mean for a Bible study? <laughs> and I go, yeah, we're having a Bible study at my house, 5,000 pies for dinner at 6, study from 7 to 8. Come on, bring your girlfriend. Do you guys want to come by? And he looked at me, and he literally goes, dude, you don't know how much I need that. I'll see you tomorrow. Wow. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Will Alex be here tonight? I honestly think he will. So it's these ordinary habits that we do every day. So I'm always praying for the law making mm-hmm. friends, inviting people into kingdom experiences, and, man, teach them the Bible, and we'll see extraordinary things. That's mm-hmm. awesome. We'll be praying for Alex to be there tonight, too. Right? Amen, <laughs> amen. And and we'll have to get him a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of books out there on evangelism already, right? So why does the church yeah. need this book? Great question, Kathy. I think the, the couple things are... Um, the shifting culture, um, particularly Luke's gospel, is uh, super tuned in, I think, to the needs of those on the margins. Mm-hmm. So I like to say that Matthew, Mark, and John teach you um, really discipleship, and it's Luke that teaches you where to live out that discipleship, which mm-hmm. is really among the poor. So in a world today that's really so divided in terms of class and race, 
Luke is the, the, just the beacon of light in Luke 14, where Jesus says, if you love people who look just like you, and if you love people who have the same political views, and if you love people who have the same bank accounts, and, you know, if you take someone to, to Staples Center to see the Clippers, and then they take you to see the Lakers, <laughs> oh, we know that's not a fair trade, right? <laughs> Luke, honestly, I think if Luke was here today, one of the things he'd say to our church is, even sinners do that. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. So I think Luke and Luke 10 particularly teach people how to cross class and social barriers so that they can be part of a multicultural, multi-class witness. And that's where the church should be shining today. People should be going by going, everyone at work, you know, they're so glommed onto their little groups. Oh my God, what's different with you guys? You've really crossed barriers and you love each other. And there's something so much greater that you follow someone greater than you follow them in ideology. And I think, I think that's exactly what happened at Antioch. You know, Antioch was one of the most segregated cities of the ancient world, literally four quadrants, Syrian, Roman, Greek, and Hebrew. And the Christians gathered right in the middle, all four Barnabas came, Acts 11, 25 to 28, and said he saw the grace of God. And it was the city that actually named him. And the city of Antioch was the first time that they were called Christians. They didn't know what to call them. So I think this book explores those things, why we're in the situations we are, and what it actually means to, to be able to, to love in such a way that you actually need the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's not something that sinners can do. That's beautiful. One more question. Help me, someone who just uh, as an introvert uh, um, sometimes finds it hard to just begin when it comes to evangelism. And um, yes. you, break, you break it down really well here um, and you make it, you know, deconstructed in a way where it feels simple, beginning with prayer, you know, fr making friends and, and experiences, but help me, um, to get over my, you know, my, uh, my phobia of this, my, my fear of, of just starting yeah. a conversation or just reaching out, just doing something simple. What, where do yeah. you, where do I begin to tap into the power of the 72? Okay. Here's, here's a mantra that I try to live by and teach our church. The more, you know, the less you fear. So the more you know about a process or a situation, the less you will be afraid about. I think people don't engage in evangelism because they're afraid and they're largely afraid of saying the wrong thing, a relationship getting adversely affected. They're afraid of results. So right off the bat, I tell people if you're going to engage in some 72 training, about half the people you meet will not be interested. So be prepared. So in Luke 10, we have an entire chapter in the book on persecution and suffering and rejection. So that's just normal. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you engage in this, half the people will think you're crazy. No problem. <laughs> right. No problem at all. And then of those half, largely 25% will engage in the process, will be a part of the 
the evangelistic ministry and about 25% will come to faith. So if one out of four people become cross carrying disciples who end up in heaven because they have real faith, that's totally worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. I I can totally, totally, totally embrace it. So if that's the overarching process, what we need to say is, okay, well, how do I engage people? So, you know, I'm, I've been doing evangelism for a long time. People think, oh, you have a personality for evangelism. You know, I, my evangelism is honestly very uh, predictable and very plain. I will follow Jesus's model of taking a conversation from the secular to the sacred, or like he does with the woman at the well. He'll turn a conversation and thirst into her deepest need for God. And I'll just try to take a conversation, but I always have the same ending point. And Ed, this this line is so crazy and it's so sexy. You know what my my uh, <laughs> phrase is every time. Yeah. Have you ever studied the Bible for yourself? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Literally, that's it. Have you ever studied the Bible for yourself? And then I just listen. No, no, I think it's crazy. Okay, they need some more friendship before we move to kingdom experiences. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate the church. I hate hypocrites. Okay. They need some more positive deposits before I ask. Mm -hmm. Actually. Yeah. I really want. So I think every person is made in the image of God. And even if they're like hostile blasphemers, there is a curiosity that they have about Jesus. They're made by him. There's a curiosity about the Bible. You know, there's a curiosity about Revelation. You know, hey, have you ever studied the Bible for yourself? Yeah, I've always wanted to know about the beast and the whore of Babylon. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I just literally, that's the question. So I would say for you, the more you know, the less you'll be afraid. Have one line. And then what I do is I have these mobile Bible studies and I'll either invite them to our house if we're doing a life group. So once a week, Wednesday nights, we have food and Bible study. We're one of 14 life groups in our church that meet 40 weeks a year. Or I just give them a page and say, hey, why don't you check it out? Read it for yourself and hit me back with any questions. You'll be fascinated what people come back with. Incredible. That's cool. So I think it, it honors the it, it honors the process, and right. you need to have your own plan. So I would say, find out the question that you want to ask. Ask people this week. Ask five people this week if they've ever studied the Bible for themselves, and uh, I think you'll be like, "Whoa, I'm an evangelist." <laughs> That's great. Okay, so John makes it sound like it's kind of easy to do evangelism, right? Like, if you talk to him at all, he's like, yeah, I ran into this guy yesterday, and I invited him to my Bible study today, and he came. So I'm wondering, um, he says it's not just about personality, right? And he made some comments there at the end, Ed, that about the more you know, the less you fear. I was wondering, like, as you think about that, how how does that answer the question that you were asking him about people that it's kind of a challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's fascinating, uh, especially the way he broke it down, that that half of the people will not be interested at all, 25% of the people will engage on some level, and 
the other 25% will actually come to faith. Mm-hmm. And you think about that and you think you take that knowledge into uh, any conversation that you enter into. I mean, I think that's helpful in, in sort of knowing, hey, I don't have to be anxious about this. Mm-hmm. This is this is how it works. And, you know, this person just isn't there. Or, you know, if, if I find myself in a situation where someone's really engaged to the point of uh, being prepared and ready for mm-hmm. uh, a, heart, a deeper conversation, going with that. But if, if the focus is on, um, you know, that, that knowledge of how the process works rather than on my own ability, um, you know, that's helpful. Of course, uh, even as I say that, the Holy the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the <laughs> it's, the, it's the real worker there in terms of making preparing hearts and and getting folks uh, to that to that place. So, um, so it's not about us, right? But yeah. you know, for an introvert like me, as I was mm. as I was saying to John, it's it, it's helpful to have some sort of tool, some some instruments that and 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 knowledge going in, so it doesn't feel like it's just uh you know i'm running in fear here trying to trying to convince someone to to uh, uh believe in jesus i love john's question right have you ever studied the bible for yourself that's a great question there's everybody has an answer right yeah absolutely so yeah so that was great and i i hope our listeners found that found that helpful and that we could all sort of uh commit our recommit ourselves to the importance of evangelism and and uh, finding ways to make it a priority in our lives. Mm. Well, we're going to take a break, uh, and when we come back, we'll, we will uh, revisit what is truly my favorite segment of the Covcast. Why I love the Cove. That's it, why <laughs> I love the Cove. But uh, we'll do that when we come back. I am. I am. I am. I am a finance manager. I am happy. <laughs> I'm a mess. <laughs> I am a fighter. I am a mother. I am a feminist. I am a grandmother. I am pastor. I am a planter. I am healing. I am a leader. I'm creative. I am my father's daughter. I am fighting cancer. I am. I am. I am the daughter. The daughter. I am the daughter. The daughter. The daughter of the great. I am. I am. A triennial gathering for women, by women. Coming July 2019. For information, go to iam.covchurch.org. And we are back. Um, So now it's time to uh, hear from some of our listeners out there about uh, that big question of each episode of the Covcast, why do you love the Cove? And um, let's listen in right now as we have a, uh, a listener who has shared her heart with us around that question. Hi, I'm Vicki Ryer. I attend Arvada Covenant Church in Arvada, Colorado. And I love the Cove. Well, I've been a covenanter for about 20 years. And I came to the covenant originally because I loved their statement, where is it written? Because I was really into this whole biblically based thing. But what I find through the course of time and as I continue to age, 
hopefully with grace. I actually love the cub for another question, and it's a little more subtle, but it's really important. And that is, and so. Kind of if we think about where is it written, that should actually lead us to that next piece, and so. And so what am I doing with that? What's different in my life because of that? And the covenant has the space and the capacity and actually invites us to ask that next question, and so. I mean, that's a challenge because we love the knowledge, but the actual practice, well, that's really what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why I love the cub. Thank you, Vicki. That's Vicki Ryer from Arvada, Colorado, sharing her heart about why she loves the cub. And so, it's a good, good question for all of us, I think. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the CoveCast. It's been a great journey with you here, Kathy Norman Peterson. Thanks, Ed. We've learned about evangelism and uh, some other things, and uh, it's been a great ride. So I'm looking forward to the next time. Me too. All right. So we want to take this time to say thank you to all of our listeners out there and to remind you that, uh, first of all, this whole podcast deal is from the editors of the Covenant Companion. So we need you, if you don't already do it, to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's an incredible magazine filled with uh, lots of great content and great stories uh, to help bring the Covenant community together. And um, we also want to uh, encourage you to continue to listen to the CovCast. And if you don't already subscribe to that, please do. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts out there in the podcast world. And I want to thank uh, our producer, uh, Eric Staswick, and the rest of the Covenant Communications team for their hard work on putting this all together. So thanks for joining us this time, and we will see you in the next episode of The CovCast from the editors of The Covenant Companion.